This is Old Black Magic and the Millennial. I'm Brian Babylon, Old Black Magic. And I'm Molly Adams, the Millennial. Today on the show, we are talking about being sad and how we all deal with it. Uh, are people popping pills or popping prayers? Yeah, we're uh, going to go down to West Virginia and see what 780 million pills for 1.8 million people actually looks like. Bill popping. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. It's not glamorous. We are not glamorizing drug culture. And I will tell a tale from the old Black Magic Archives. But as we do, let's begin the show with a little original music from my very talented co-host. Hey, 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 hey. Wow. Death is everywhere. that we're really taking advantage of having our own platform and just putting out content. Content. I mean, the thing is this. Like, <laughs> I always say every comic's dream is to be a rock star. And a lot, I know a lot of musicians who also want to be comedians. But I'm doing something about it. So... <laughs> I'm doing so I took... I sound like a light... Subtweet live subtweet to somebody. Yeah. So the thing is, I, I think I know my formula. I take old songs or older songs from my, you know, from my past and sort of revamp them to modern times. So, well, okay. For for people who did not recognize that, who really thought that that was an original original yeah. song by Brian Babylon, yeah. that was him covering Depeche Mode, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is crazy in itself that a magical old black man will even be into eighties synth pop. Uh, okay, now this is funny that this was a song that you chose to do this week on our theme being sad because a few days before we recorded this. Uh, that dumb fucking that dumb white guy, Richard Spencer, the one who's white the nationalist, one who's, the one who's fine and hot. <laughs> yeah, the 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 really hot Nazi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he um he loves Depeche Mode. Yeah. He, I mean, he's kind of a troll. Obviously, just like says dumb shit all the time. He's such a f- those people are such fucking dumbasses. I'm sorry. Excuse my language. But they're just, they like, 
I had to go look at his Twitter page to do research for this. He like has a glass of milk emoji in his name. And like apparently all these like neo-Nazis are ordering well done steaks because that's how Donald Trump has his steak well done. But you like, know what? This I is, thought, this honestly, is, I, this is what they think counterculture is. Honestly, like, drinking milk and eating a well done steak. Well, no, the whole, the whole milk thing is it's they're like Nazis are going around pouring milk on themselves and drinking it because it's pure, pure white. <laughs> oh, oh, that's like, oh, that's supposed to explain it to me. Yeah. Oh, now it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought to be a real white person, you had to eat your steak raw like you did in the caves of the Caucasus Mountains. Mm. Well done. Now, you you associate white people with rare meat, rare bloody meat. I mean, I thought well done steaks was a black thing. Because hmm. black people, I don't think that <laughs> we can really break steak. My my grandmother always wanted her steak medium to well done. Yeah, but let's get back to She's this. Jewish. Let's get back to this track. Yeah. So anyhow, it's just a side note on Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode obviously was like, no, we're well, not no, into he, that. He said, at all. He, no. Um, Richard Spencer said that Depeche Mode was the like official band of the alt right. Ugh, alt has been co-opted. Just I've been to alt rock, okay, for the first time ever because of this. Yeah. So yeah, and what did Dave say? Dave Gahan and Martin Gore said, "No way, it's no way. We want that guy in our life. He needs to get his life together." That's what they said. He does need to get his life. Did they really say he needs to get his no, life I'm together? No, I'm just saying that. I, I just said <laughs> that because I remember Dave Gahan went through a little bad spot, and he's like one of my. Let straight up heroes of, oh, really? of entertainment. Really? Uh, I remember the first time I saw him, uh, I was in my 40s. So this is 82. I was 43. And I realized like this guy has the mots. He is a star. Is he just he just popped off the TV and I just loved his stage presence. I love what he was about. And uh, Depeche Mode is awesome. But this song, Molly Adams, kind of. Yeah, why did you choose to do this song? Because it kind of like is where we are for a lot of people. They feel. What is the lyric? Read the lyrics of uh, Fly on the Windscreen. Death is everywhere. Yep. There are flies on the windscreen. Stop right there. Right? Ever, ever been, in a, been, been in yeah, a road trip? Been on a road trip and just saw a fly just smash on the window and then you use your windshield wipers to smear it off? Yeah, I had a plant die this morning. Death is everywhere. It's sad. Then go ahead. Keep reading. For a start, reminding us that we could be torn apart tonight. Yep. Like just what's the same way that fly was torn apart by your windshield wipers. That's how Any our lives now. are so it's fragile. True. It's fucking true. It's scary is true. Keep going. Death is everywhere. There are lambs for the slaughter waiting to die. And I can sense the hours slipping by tonight. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it's like, let's fuck, babe. Come here, kiss me now. Come here, kiss me now. Yeah, like fuck all this. And I've se- I've realized if you look through Facebook for a group of people, they really felt, and I'm gonna put you in the, that bag, that the end of the world happened when Donald Trump came in office. No, you don't. you went to you went to Montreal. <laughs> I'm like, where, I was like, dude, where you been? I went to Montreal after the election. It's just it was just too much. Okay, it was. It was a bad couple of days. It was a bad couple of days. I got over it, though. So why uh, why did you choose Depeche Mode? Because you think they're on some shit, right? Well, that's like, 
that's my vocal. He's like one of my vocal coaches. And like I invoke two artists when I go into the studio. Travis Scott or Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. But then there's some Perry Farrell sprinkles as well. That's who I am. That's the musician side of me. So I thought that this track, Fly on the One Screen, would be a good song for this week. Because it's about, and a lot of their songs, Molly, a lot of their songs yes. that were made in the 80s are so relevant today. Like, throw some throw some titles out there to me and I'm going to match them up. <laughs> match them up? Yeah, to today. Well, I mean, man, we, we, are, we are back in the 80s today. I'll give you an easy one. First, okay. uh, Personal Jesus. Boom. The evangelist, uh, the evangelistic uh, side of the Republican Party trying to make their Jesus my Jesus and we're supposed to be on the same Jesus, but it ain't like that. Go ahead. How about, uh, let me see, little, little her pe- people are people. Come on, that's easy. Uh, stop hating. Well, what kind of people are you going to talk about? Well, people are people. That song is about accepting everyone for who they are. I don't care if they're black, white, this race thing. I don't care if they're gay or trans. Kind of a message to Trump. Stop hating on just people. Boom. Wait. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, some of these songs are just, that's a timeless message. I know, but they're, it's a really relevant today. I mean, you, you didn't, not in the Obama era, everyone felt like we were getting along, right? Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, people don't feel like we're getting along, right? I, but, yeah, sure. Clearly, some people didn't feel we were getting along. And the, there were people who never feel like we're getting along because they're, who knows? Give me another song. Never Let Me Down Again. That's that's that? a message to the Democratic Party. If you ever, <laughs> ever pull us bullshit stunt like that and give me a garbage ass candidate. We're through. Ugh, I you're you've even had a relationship with the Democratic Party. I never did. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, never did. Yeah, it's a you know it's a sad time. We are like back in some weird. I guess that that's why people are sort of depressed. And I think for some people, you're right. This is like the first time they've ever felt like they could come close to being touched. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's like because because I've heard all these features all over the media about how like how to deal with your emotions at this time, you know, and like not obsessively watch the news and like how to take care of yourself and why there's been this like increase in. I mean, I don't know if it's been an increase in like phone calls to your therapist or like increase in people jumping off a bridge. I should see what type of stats they're citing. I think it's just personal feelings in the newsroom. Maybe that's leading to the production of those stories. Well, I I would say it's something else. I would say that a certain type of person is starting to feel depressed. So that's why we're seeing so much coverage and news about it semi-educated, semi-affluent white people start feeling depressed, that's when we're always, that's when we're everyone's depressed. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant by that being led by conversations and feelings in the newsroom. A certain type of person like me has been feeling depressed. Yeah, like when when your educated white person starts getting depressed who came from an affluent background, that's when everyone else is depressed. But if you look back Black people have been depressed all their fucking life in America. Latino people have been depressed. <laughs> Immigrants have been Not depressed. Funny. Poor white people have been depressed. 
but it's not worthy of being talked about because they're lesser than. And where else can you get any more poor and white than West Virginia? On this episode, we're talking about being sad. And one of the things that's been on my mind a lot, both living in Chicago and now moving to Maine, is the so-called opioid crisis. Yeah. Now, that means it's not it's it's just the feel good stuff. So is this like what goes inside of an opioid crisis? Is it is it Valium? (laughs) Is it Oxycontin? Is it painkillers? Yeah. The opioid crisis uh, contain. uh, I would say it encompasses hydrocodone, oxycodone, heroin, Mm -hmm. fentanyl. And that's why it is when people call it the opioid crisis, it's sort of like, well, what are we talking about? Because heroin's bad in Chicago. Heroin's getting worse in Maine. Maine deaths from uh, overdoses went up 40 percent in 2016 over 2015, which is apparently worse than West Virginia's uh, rate of climbing. The West Virginia had the most opioid deaths in the nation in 2015, with over 1,700 people dying. 1.8 million people live in West Virginia, right? Not a big state. Wow. Over the course of five years, in t- from 2007 to 2012, like at the height, as the height of this opioid crisis was reached, over 780 million pills of hydrocodone and oxycodone were distributed into pharmacies and quote unquote pain clinics in West Virginia. So this is and this is how it goes down. You 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 slip a disc in your back at a construction site and you have back surgery or something and you get prescribed some painkillers, right? Yes. But after a while, your body heals itself. You don't need that anymore, right? Yeah. However, you've been prescribed them for like 30 to 60 days, like a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, So do that. Do that number again. So it's a million point eight people. But 700 million pills? Yeah, over 700 million pills. In other states where there's like these high rates climbing, like Alabama, there are more prescriptions for these drugs than there are people because like they're allowed to go doctor shopping. Wow. Well, it's about to get more wow because part of what's going on in West Virginia is deeply systemic. Um, There's corruption there's profit to be made, obviously. Like, this is the legal drug market. So I called Eric Iyer, who's a staff writer at the West Virginia Gazette Mail, to talk about it. And I asked him, like, how he got into this story, because he's a state house reporter. And he was like, yeah, I got into it because the attorney general's wife was a lobbyist for one of the drug wholesalers. Mm, there we go. Follow the money. Yeah, this is like some really real shit that we're about to get into. So buckle up, buttercup. Buckle up. When you break it down, we're actually, uh, we're pretty small state, uh, 1.8 million people. So if you break it down, uh, it was about 437 pills per person, every man, woman, and child in West Virginia. The other 
startling thing was we found in small towns, there was one town, um, Kermit, West Virginia, where they had 382 people, but a pharmacy was shipped over just two years, nearly 9 million hydrocodone pills. Hydrocodone is Lortab and Vicodin and Norco uh, on the brand names of it. So you had these like mom-and-pop pharmacies, uh, in particular in southern West Virginia, they were just getting massive, massive quantities uh, of, of these pills, and nobody was flagging them, not the DEA, not the distributors. Nobody was flagging these enormous shipments. The one guy, um, the one, again, it's one pharmacy in this small town in Kermit, when he gave his deposition, and you know, he, he's, he was, um, his pharmacy was shut down, and there's new ownership there, but he testified that he was making $500,000 per month at his pharmacy. I mean, they had lines of cars coming in from Tennessee, Ohio, Virginia, uh, Kentucky. He also testified that he couldn't he couldn't close the cash drawer. There was so much cash because all these rogue pharmacies, they do a, a cash-only business. They don't take insurance or anything, so people would come in and, and pay uh, cash for their their pills, but it's just an extraordinary number of pills, and there was a lot of money made uh, by the pharmacies and, of course, by the wholesalers as well. Now, a person, though, a patient can't get a prescription filled without a doctor writing it, though. Yeah, well, everybody seems to blame everybody else. Um, the doctors will blame the pharmacists. Pharmacists will blame the doctors. Um, you know, I think I think just as the, the one pharmacist that we quoted, it's, it's everybody working together. It's sort of an ugly chain, and no one wants to take responsibility. We've had an extraordinary number of uh, pain clinics. They call them pain clinics. There's these um, places where you pay um, $150. Sometimes you don't even see a doctor, and they give you a prescription. We had one that was shut down about a year ago, but one in Charleston. West Virginia, not far from where I work, where they had this special machine that churned out hundreds of, uh, or if not thousands of prescriptions um, with, with, with a automated signature from a doctor. So he wasn't even seeing patients. And the people that were operating the machine were these retired um, police officers. And they were essentially there for sort of... Um, to be like guards, but they, some of them bothered to take the person's pulse or, um, you know, take their weight or do some preliminary stuff. But for the most part, you could just walk in. These these pain clinics have been linked to uh, multiple overdose deaths. Uh, if you look at where most of these pain clinics are, and then you look at where the drug overdose deaths are, they, they they're generally in the same areas. So it looks like um, where we're at right now in West Virginia, Cardinal Health has settled a lawsuit against the state. You know, they say that the money will go to drug treatment programs in West Virginia. Do you have any idea, like, how much of that money is going to that and what the approach is going to be? It was a $36 million settlement. They set up a special account to put the money in, um, when you break it down, the money gets smaller and smaller. First off, um, you take a third for the lawyers. So then it spread $8 million for our, our DHHR, which is the equivalent of like DH, DHS in Washington, D.C. Um, 
and then there was a, a third for the attorney general and a third for um, essentially the agency that oversees state police. They have said they're dedicating theirs to treatment, uh, enforcement. Um, obviously, the state police is going to be law enforcement. So I guess it, it, as I'm thinking through this, it really only leaves out of all that 36 million, about 8 million goes directly to uh, drug treatment and uh, prevention wow. uh, efforts. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you just let me talk through that. Yeah. Now it, it's starting to send off things uh, in my head that we had 36, but really 8 million is going to go directly into um, treatment programs. Wow. Eric, thank you so much for talking with me. So that's crazy, Molly. It's so upsetting because, like, there is really real sadness in this country. This is an issue of not only major exploitative capitalist profit being made off of this, but also, like, people don't have access to health care. Like, you know, there's only going to be $8 million of the settlement going back into drug treatment programs. People don't have access to jobs in West Virginia. So do you think if this was happening in the Upper East Side or in the fancy suburbs of Detroit or Chicago or, you know, in in Hollywood or San Francisco, it will be a different tone. But these forgotten white people, they're just on, I consider, like a hamster wheel. And it's sort of like, you know, like, sure, you're like, I can see this being a generational thing where. You know, one mistake or one slip up, some slip up and fall at work and you might get hurt or even you might not even get hurt. You might just start taking this because it's what people do to be happy. I think that you wouldn't have a crisis like this in the Upper East Side. Like, I mean, there's there's people addicted to painkillers everywhere. But part of what's made this a crisis is the convolution. I mean, the collusion of all these different events And, you know, that also includes like disability people, you know, like becoming permanently unemployed um, because of the nature of work in West Virginia. It's like, man, it's so real and like so nothing being done about it. And, And I'm curious on I don't see a rest for doctors who overprescribe. I don't see a rest for pharmacists who, you know, turn a blind eye and sell people pills they don't need. But I do see a the distributor. Yeah, I do see a there, there for, are literally laws being broken by the distributor. Yeah, I know. I, I do see a rest for heroin dealers. And once you can't afford Oxycontin, you start doing dope. But it's weird that yeah, man. it's weird that, you know, since, you know, pharmaceutical companies are companies and now, you know, and I'm curious, you know, they were trying to pass that bill, trying to make companies like real people, too. Well, that's what. You know, the Citizens United Supreme Court decisions about the companies are already people, my friend. So, yeah. And I'm thinking like, well, these pharmaceutical companies are pushing mad drugs. They should be treated like drug dealers if they're people. As you said, white people, white people always take pills to deal with depression. Well, and I and well, that's that's kind of almost true, (laughs) but like sad because I've I've found and you know, guys hit us up on our website or Facebook if you disagree. Like, I always found black people clearly have a reason to be depressed in America. You know, 
but they've always gone to church. That's how they deal with it. You know, you don't you don't, you rarely see a black person talking about, man, I got to go to my therapist, man. Oh, man, I got to go take this happy pill. Black people don't pop pills to feel better. They pop pills to party. Latino people. I don't I've never really heard Latino people saying I'm going to my therapist. They go to work. They're too busy working. It's a black hat comedy right there. That's some real shit. That's some real shit. Like, I think that it's it comes down to a privilege thing of like, because, you know, a lot of, you know, people like yourself, Molly, like these millennials who don't believe in church or Jesus or God. But they do believe in a therapist. Therapy is great for everybody. And I think that there you're right that I think it comes more from a place of privilege. We always talk about like stigma around it in communities. I think it's more about access to health care and like having parents who will pay for it for you. And this this might sound racist, but you're my very good friend and you are Jewish. I've always felt that therapy was a Jewish thing. <laughs> because because first, the, the, I mean, out of all my people that I know who are Jewish, I know a lot of them who are on, you know, who go to therapy, but they always have so many problems and neurosis. And, you know, not saying white people aren't, you know, neurotic anyway, but, you know, this, that's a stereotype of Jewish people. Yes or no, that they're neurotic. Yes. Yes. It's a stereotype. Well, and I it's guess like true. Jewish people were there were some Jewish people who were pioneers in the world of psychoanalysis sigmund freud he was jewish yes oh Ooh, that changes things <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe the the anti-semitism that i tolerate from you <laughs> oh uh, i it's just it's like i can't believe you've also been my friend this long and like still that's how ingrained racism and bias are in people but i'm I'm also curious like you know like okay yeah we are we know you always hear like the neurotic jew right that's the thing that rolls off people's lips but do you what other race has no no you're no one has neurotic associated with it in the way judaism does yeah well man but it's also you're saying like black people don't pop pills but like what about this new future album and the old future albums like well, you no, talked about and, pills and i want to talk about that the time now and i'm curious Will wayne pill city no i'm now i'm very curious on now that we're in the future you know dr dre hip-hop you know how they would medicate is smoking some weed and drinking a 40 ounce but these new rappers, Young Thug, Lil Wayne, my hero, Travis Scott, uh, Future. Future has this one verse. He has this one song where he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, after everything he says, it's called I'm So Groovy. He has one lyric where he says, Adderalls are magical. Mm-hmm. Like, when you just say the pill name, the actual pill name, he says Xanax. He says Adderalls. He said, I mean, they Percocets. I'm curious you think on. He's being paid by the pharmaceutical giants. I, I don't think they're being paid by them directly, but I think I'm curious on how this is going to unfold because we see, you know, if I'm going to be like an alien, I'm going to do an alien sociologist who's visiting this planet, just observing the people. And, you know, I'll, I've been here for a couple of you know, decades. 
So in the 80s and 90s, I was like, well, you have Decades. you have, you know, marijuana and 40 ounces made the black male lackluster, lazy and blah, blah, blah. Niggas on Adderall's. What is that even like? Like black ghetto people just focused and alert. What is that going? What is an Adderall? <laughs> what is like the Adderall situation in the hood going to be like? Yeah, I I don't. It could be positive. No, I mean Adderall does make you productive, and I'm not saying that as in like people are not productive in the hood. No, I, like, I'm saying that people I'm, need I'm more access that. to pharmaceuticals. But I'm just curious. Get that edge. I'm just curious on, but I don't think they're. I don't think that when Young Thug and Future talk about pill popping, they're talking about it to better your life. They're talking about it to kick it. It's <laughs> very true. If you and I weren't media experts and we went to the finest colleges in the land and we became PhDs, like which which one can pass out the pills? A doctor. I know, but a yeah, psychiatrist you, or a psychologist? Yeah, you have your PhD. A, psych- a psychiatrist can hand out pills. So, yeah, I want to be that. You know, I want, I want to... Okay. I want a script book. So, let's... Yeah, you still have to do all the rotations in school, but... Yeah, so... You can be a psychiatrist. I saw this one uh, news story where back in, you know, in my heyday, when this guy was the Trump of my time called Barry Goldwater, he was crazy. And a lot of psychiatrists got together and said, this dude is unfit to be president. But then after a couple of years, they realized "Uh, you can't really just look at a person and say they're crazy. That's not ethical. Right. What was he what was he doing that made people think he was crazy? The same thing Trump does, like narcissists. You know, oh, like offhanded. Let's let's launch nuclear nukes. Yeah. Like you don't want this dude with any nuke codes. And that and that's what people's biggest fear is like, okay, you have the actual the power in a briefcase to fuck shit all the way up. So your mental capacities have to be a little bit more on snuff than your average person. Just like pilots have to go through a battery of tests. People who work at, you know, high risk jobs, people who work at nuclear plants have to go through a battery of mental tests. Right. Why shouldn't the president? So now there's a new push for psychiatrists and psychologists to come together and say Donald Trump is unfit. Do you feel that that's right? Hmm. I mean, I feel like you don't need to be a psychiatrist to know that he's unfit to be president, I guess. <laughs> like, that's that's one of the most bewildering things to me about this whole election. Like, he's so repulsive in so many ways. Um but I guess he is kind of popular because he has been a celebrity for a while. I don't know, man. I Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's especially around mental illness to diagnose without like actual mental illness. And that's why I think it's in, like mostly what people are saying he has is like borderline personality disorders, you know, like narcissism, which in and of themselves are like controversial in the psychiatry com- community. Yeah, it's not like a, he, because, he's not. It's it's not like schizophrenia where he's like 
at a press yeah, conference no and saying, you see that purple man over there? I'm listening to that purple man. Yeah. I mean, what what's scarier are like, you know, the the possibility of early onset. It wouldn't even be early at this point, but like the possibility of dementia. Mm-hmm. And that's real. And and that's real. And I just but it just feels I don't know as much as you're right now that I like really think about it as much as I cannot stand Trump. I think you don't need to go to the places of like making it a medical issue. Like he's unfit to be president in so many ways beyond that. However, your people are probably sending these letters because they want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. Like I was I told you like I told you people ringing these alarms way too late. Fuck that. So that got me thinking, Molly, you know, we, we kind of put the pull the race card a little bit on, you know, who gets sad, who gets prescribed pills, the spectrum of sadness and depression in this country. And one group that and I've seen some people post on Facebook how this needs to be addressed. And, you know, the movie Moonlight didn't really deal with depression, but it kind of dealt with black man mental stuff, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like a black yeah. a black man isn't supposed to be depressed. A white man isn't supposed to be depressed. A real white man, like you know, maybe like a beta white male can get depressed. But your real yeah, men don't have emotions. A, your real marine white man, come on, get out of here, pussy, man up, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think, like, damn, have I ever been depressed? And I guess I don't know. I guess I don't know what it feels like. Uh, as your friend, <laughs> I mean, I get down. I, you know I mean, like it's like you. this. It's like, what is depression? Is it like when you're down? You know, like, oh man, am I having a good day? Like, oh, I didn't get this one thing that I wanted. Is that depression? Well, Brian, I would encourage you and anybody else who's wondering, am I depressed? To uh, seek professional help first of all. But I'm just asking you, like, on this, uh-huh. I'm just asking you on this podcast, like, is it this- is it depression or is it like, hey, just buck up and work harder. Things will get better. Why can't it be that? <laughs> Why do I have to go to another person to let them hear me say this and then for them to tell me? I mean, yeah, depression can be temporary and it can definitely lift it naturally. But I think, uh, yeah, you... You've been sad, dude. I've been sad. You've been I, sad I, I, for I long say this. I, periods this of tale. time. I'll go out and have been less social during those periods of time, and drank more, and uh, you're talking <laughs> you about know, me. less organized. <laughs> so this was saying like I don't know if this was depression because I'm mad that I realized that I was a little down about this. You understand what I'm saying? And it was when I broke up with an ex. You're mad that you were sad? Yeah, I'm mad that I was sad. Like, man, get the you fuck. Didn't... Like, when I look at myself in the mirror, like, man, you fucking pussy. What a bitch. <laughs> Maybe you don't need therapy. You could just talk it out here. Yeah, it was over a breakup with a, with a young lady. And I went through a spell of j- hardcore drinking, extra drinking. I remember when we had our radio show early in the morning. And it was, I remember I went on like a bender with it was more than just alcohol too where you just awake a lot i'm not even gonna go into that but i woke where i I knew it was a problem when i saw the sunrise on a park bench at navy pier and then i went to work didn't go to sleep and that was like the rock bottom 
that was one of my rock bottoms. And I actually put this in my in my stand up where I, my rock bottom was I was in my apartment and it was very hot outside and I was having a pity party for myself. And I was feeling like just man, I'm just sad. I'm just sad. And I turned the AC off to be more pathetic. Like I was like making things more sad for myself. And I was like looking at pictures of me and this young lady in happier times being sad. That wasn't sad enough. So I went down a Facebook no a YouTube rabbit hole of animal cruelty videos to get more sad. So <laughs> I remember watching a video of like tiger skins, like tigers and the whole at PSA was about how tigers were losing their lives because people were using them for their skins. And I'm looking at these little cute tiger cubs. And then they will cut to a scene of like a mound of tiger skins with bloody fringes. And I was like, Oh man, this, I'm getting sadder, sadder, but I wasn't sad enough. And I'm going to tell you what took me over the edge. And it's when I had, Fruit flies flying in my face. That's what did it. Being sad in the summer is a real key uh, sign that you're sad. Yeah, because it's it was bright outside, you know, and 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 nice weather in Chicago is different than nice weather in L.A. because it's nice all the time. As soon as it gets nice in Chicago, that's when you're like out and about having a good time. But I was in the house smoking pot. I had fruit flies in my face and and the reason they were fruit flies in my face is because I brought home this edible arrangement because I was I was sad. I'm like, well, I'm gonna take this this fruit bouquet home and nibble on these pineapple tulips and be sad. And then I think I left my house and didn't come back for two days. So when I came back two days later, it was a fruit fly infestation. And it was fucked up. And that was what got me out of it. Like, man, fuck this. I'm getting up. I'm going to get on some bitches. These fruit flies in my face. It was my no mas moment. Yeah, you got to hit rock bottom before you can get on some bitches. Yeah, before you rise like a fiery phoenix, you got to hit rock bottom. You got to have fruit flies in your face (laughs) talking shit. Uh, That's the saddest you've ever been? Oh... No, there's I, real I, sadnesses out there. I don't want to talk about the real ones. I agree. I mean, that Ugh. was that was and I was I'm telling you, I was really down about that breakup and I was very upset about it because I'm like, man, because when I have other friends who break up with girls or whatever and they're all sad, I'm the main one who's like, man, get the fuck out here, dude. Don't let no bitch get you down like that. I'm, I go into that mode. But when it happened to me, psh, you learned. I learned. Yeah. You learned. Being sad is a real emotion that you can have. Well, thank you for that story, old black magic. Yeah. That I mean, and I will say if you have health care, get some help mentally. If you don't, go to church. That's Old Black Magic and The Millennial. You can visit our website, brianandmollypodcast.com. You can like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash OBMATM. Yeah, and uh, you can go to the website and get some more exclusive content, like all the beats that we have for the music. And we'll have Danny play this track out, fly on the windscreen, get in there, believe in it. On that website, you can find bonus content like... My extended interview with Eric Iyer from nice. West Virginia. And 
all of Brian's hot beats and videos if you just can't get enough. What? You did a Depeche Mode reference. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you like that? And when it rains, you're shutting down on me. Thank you. All right. <laughs> this is Old Black Magic and the Millennial. We're out. Thanks, Danny. Hey, 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 hey. Wow. Death is everywhere. Flies on the windscreen for a star.